You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Well, we've mentioned before that we've, we've moved house. We've come from the, the burbs to a, a farmlet. A farmlet, this sounds right. Um, it's, it's not too big, but it's, it's, you know, it's bigger than what we were on. And it's got a whole lot of, a lot of trees on it, many of which we, we don't know what they are. But I was told that a particular tree that I was mowing around and around and around was, was a mulberry tree. And there I was going around and around the mulberry tree, thinking how actually difficult it is to the childhood poem. You know, the branches were hanging quite, quite low, and it was, it was you know, actually something of a pain. Anyway, I, I kind, of, kind of trimmed it, got it all nice, and, and mowed around and around the mulberry tree. Last night, Bron actually um, cooked up a cobbler. You know, that's where you kind of have a, a fruit kind of thing, and then than cobble on top, um, I guess. Well, it's, it's, anyway, it was a great dessert. It was nice. And, and then she declares that it was made with the fruit from our farmlet. It was a mulberry cobbler. And then it dawned upon me, of course, of course, a mulberry tree is not just for going around and around. It actually produces fruit. That's its purpose in life. It, it's there to produce mulberries. And, and I tell you, they were amazing. They were really, really nice. You know, just as a mulberry tree exists to produce mulberries, we too exist to produce fruit fruit that will last. We often talk about that, the importance of abiding in Jesus Christ, because he wants to produce fruit in our lives. We would have fruitful lives that will bring him much glory. We have gone over that so many times. We've spent about two years talking about that. But God desires for us to have fruitful lives. He really, really does. We're made to be fruitful. In fact, in fact, we are made not just to be fruitful, but, but the actual work of our hands, our, our labor, what we, what we actually do with our lives is important to God. Labor, enterprise, work as such is not a result of the fall. It actually pre-existed that. It goes back in Genesis 1 to the fact that because we were made in the image of God and God was a creative God and and uh, a, a God who loved to, to work with his hands, and we're made in his image, so too. We have been made for creativity. We have been made for work. It's not a result of the fall. It's a result of the fact that we reflect the, the image of God. Um, and unlike the world, we would say actually that that's actually the right flow, that, that our doing flows from our being. That the fruit of our lives comes as a result of the fact that we are intimately um, connected to God. We are made in His image. Um, the world perhaps would, would say that your contribution, your work, your labor, your actual contribution in life defines you. It defines your image. God says, no, no, that's silly. Uh, it, he says, it's because you were made in my image that you were capable of a particular contribution. Our contribution in life, whatever that might be, the work of our hands, our labor, our creativity, that flows out of the fact that we are made in the image of God. We are made to be fruitful. But as Christians, we often find ourselves asking the question, well, how do we find our best contribution? We all... 
I think deep down believe that, that we were made for something really, really special. That God has implanted in us something deep down that, that wants to look around this, this wonderful world and say, can I contribute to this? I, I, I want to I have somehow make it a better place. And that, I believe, is a God-given trait. But how? What is it that you should do with your life? And how do you find your best contribution? These are great questions. And they're the sorts of questions that, that we might consider when we're talking about the formation of a leader. And, and that's actually what we're doing, looking at the life of David, talking about the anatomy of a leader. How did God shape David to be Israel's greatest king, to be the man that God wanted him to be? In chapter 16, verses 1 to 13, we looked at this whole element of anointing. A very, very important part of it. That's, that's where God blesses us and says, you are made in my image, and I anoint that. I anoint that for, for good works and for fruit and for, for service. And, and we see there the divine approval upon David's life. But now we're actually looking at a different aspect. We're looking at that aspect where, where David kind of pretty much hidden from the eyes of others, out there amongst the sheep, out in the paddocks, by himself, forgotten, is found by God and has moved from there into the royal courts. And here he actually finds royal approval, the approval of man. The Bible actually talks about finding favor with God and man on a couple of occasions. Sometimes we can, we can think that it's wrong to have favor with, with people, favor, favor with others. Not entirely so. It's perhaps wrong to pursue it, to make that the goal of your life. But if it happens, you don't have to reject it. It's all right. Jesus himself found favor with God and man. In Acts, the church found favor with both God and others around them as well. It's okay. Maybe don't seek it, but if it happens, accept it. It's okay to have favor with God and man. And that seems to be what was happening here for David as well. Well, how does it happen? Firstly, when it comes to finding your best contribution, how it is that God has made you to somehow contribute to the kingdom of God, many of us can, can feel somewhat hidden. We can feel like, well, that's for somehow the famous Christians, the Christian celebrities. That's for, that's for people who, I don't know, seem to, seem to just thrive in the, in the public arena. But not true. Not true at all. In fact, David's story is a reminder that God loves to find those with a humble heart who for all intensive purposes have been forgotten, who may even feel lost. He loves to find us and he will. Do you feel hidden? Do you feel hidden from God and, and somehow questioning or doubting whether you have a significant contribution to play in his kingdom? Well, you need not. He will find you. That's a promise. Let me read to you just these, these few verses from in chapter 16, from verses 14 to, to 23. And may this be an encouragement to you. Now, the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and, and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I, 
I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well. He's a fine looking man. And the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. The first thing perhaps to note here is, is God's sovereignty in all of this. Did, did that, those first few verses catch you a little bit by surprise? The spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. I think when we sometimes read this passage, they're the verses that actually kind of kind of capture our attention. What? A, an evil spirit from the Lord? What does that mean? Does that mean that actually we're talking here about the Holy Spirit, but on a bad day? You know, he's feeling a bit naughty. He can sometimes be holy and good and sometimes be evil and bad. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is so called because he is holy. There's, not, there's no evil in him whatsoever. So how is it that this, this spirit, this evil spirit from the Lord torments him? Well, this is a little bit complicated, but let's see if we can, we can get a little bit of understanding on this. So back in chapter 15, we see that Saul is disobedient to God and the Spirit of God leaves Saul. In these times, Old Testament times, the Spirit of God would come upon particular people, sometimes for particular tasks, sometimes for their whole life. But it was usually an individual, just like throughout the judges. But now in the New Testament, of course, we understand things very differently. God's Spirit comes upon all of us for, for all time, those of us who have confessed Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. But back to the Old Testament. Saul had the Spirit of God, but now he'd lost it through his own disobedience. And the Spirit of God now has come upon David, and he is now anointed, and he is, he is uh, in succession for the throne. With the absence of the Holy Spirit on Saul's life now, it seems that he now is open to the torment of the evil one. And, and this evil spirits seem to be able to have an inroad in his life in some way. We don't know exactly what it was. Was it bitterness? Was it, was it continued disobedience? We, we don't know the full nature of it, but somehow... This spirit comes upon him. Actually, a better translation than evil would be injurious or harmful. But there seems to be room, some sort of an opening in Saul's life, whereby an injurious or harmful spirit can now come and, and torment him. But don't get too hung up on all of that and miss this point. God is sovereign. Job says, will we only receive good from the Lord and not bad? God is sovereign. He uses good and he uses bad to fulfill his purposes in our lives. Somehow in his sovereignty, he is doing something very special here. Don't miss the fact that God in his sovereignty is at work. Again, coming back to the question, do you feel hidden? Do you sometimes doubt that God has a special purpose for your life? Truth is, a sovereign God 
will never leave you hidden. He knows where you are and he knows how to find you. And he can use all manner of circumstances, good and bad, to accomplish his will. We might feel at times that, that we're just waiting for God to turn up, to show up. But when we're waiting, it's often because God is working. David was out in the fields tending to the sheep and writing songs. But God was actually shaping his heart so that he could be the man that God could use as king. David worked on his music. God worked on his heart. And when it was time, God found him. Notice, in fact, in verse 19, Saul actually said as part of his message, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. He knows that this young man is not doing anything of any great significance. Send me that son who's with the sheep. But he's the one who has got the attention of one of the servants, and the servant gets the attention of the king. And because the king is tormented by an evil spirit, he suddenly needs a musician in his courts. So out there in the paddocks, while David seemed to be just tending sheep and writing songs, God was shaping his heart. And what did he write about? What did he reflect about? What were the sorts of things that were going on in David's mind? Perhaps we get a little bit of a clue from Psalm 37. It's a Psalm of David. And it, it perhaps gives a little bit of a reflection of, of somebody who has had time to think about what it means to be apparently lost from God's view. And he says this, firstly, do not fret. I love that. It's just a psalm opens up with, do not fret. We might translate that today as, do not be anxious. It's going to be okay. He goes on, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Instead, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their, their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. You get a sense there that David had learnt to not fret. He repeats it three times there. It seems he has learnt it gets him nowhere. It accomplishes nothing. His worst work is the work that immediately follows or comes out of fretting. But that verse 4 is one that many of us know. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, I, I so struggled with that verse. If ever there was a verse in scripture that I probably have found difficult to believe, it would be that one, mainly because of my, my misunderstanding of it. 
I just couldn't believe a promise in Scripture that would seem to suggest that delight yourself in, in the Lord and you'll get whatever you want. I mean, that just seemed wrong. It just seemed wrong. It, and in fact, it was, at least my understanding of it. But that's not what Scripture was saying at all. I recall being at some MMM board meetings on one occasion, and I had dropped no small number of hints that it was actually my birthday on one particular night. We went out to a Chinese restaurant. We had to eat anyway. And there in the Chinese restaurant, you know, all of a sudden they surprised me and these hints had started to pay off. They actually brought a birthday cake in for me. So there in Hong Kong, everybody's saying happy birthday. But then something very special happened. They took some time to actually, actually just give me a word or a scripture that was important. And a guy by the name of Terry Phillips, who's gone to be with the Lord now, Terry was like, just imagine a, a human grizzly bear who just loved to cuddle people. That's Terry. He's just this gregarious, loving personality. He's a great guy to have on the board. But he eyeballed me and he stared straight at me and he said, Stuart, I feel I need to share this verse with you very, 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 very strongly. And he just said, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. But he said it in a way that I'd never heard it before. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of his heart. And it was like I heard it for the first time ever. This wasn't that kind of, you know, feel good verse. Delight yourself in the Lord and you'll get whatever you want. This was all of a sudden delight yourself in the Lord and everything that delights him will now be a desire in your heart. His delights, by way of transference, will now be your delights. Everything that he desires, you will now desire because you've put him first. All of a sudden, it made sense. And Terry just eyeballed me, and he said it about three times. He will give you the desires of his heart. I just soaked in those words, and I, I just thought, wow, that is so precious. God shapes our heart as we delight ourselves in him. Truth is, I, I, kind of, I kind of figure very few of us actually know what we really want. You know the phrase, be careful what you wish for? I think it's actually good caution. A lot of us actually, we, we don't know what we want, truth be told. It took me many, many years of, of trying this and all of a sudden realizing... Oh, that wasn't what I thought it was. Trying this and even good things, godly things, ministerial things, all sorts of, all sorts of things and, and kind of feeling like, yeah, it wasn't quite cracked up to what I thought it might have been like. One day a friend asked me when we were sort of between transitions from one job to another, you know, the old question, well, what do you really want? Where do you want to be in five years? And I remember just thinking, instead of great kind of, thoughts, ambitious sort of thoughts. Oh, I'd like to be this. I remember just coming up blank, thinking, a coffee shop maybe? I don't know. I don't know if that lacked ambition. Maybe I should have said a good coffee shop, like a really good coffee shop. But I think I'd come to a point in my life where I've just become to be a little bit cautious about thinking that I actually knew what I wanted. I'd come to a place between these transition or in transition from one job to another where I sort of thought, you know, I, do you know what I really want? I want whatever you want, God. 
I don't know that I know what I want, but I know you do. So would you go to that deep, 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 deep place in my heart? And would you identify what it is that you want? Because that's what I want. I'll simply delight myself in you. You unlock all of those doors of the complicated soul of Stuart Hunt and get to that, the center of my heart and the heart of the center of the center of the heart of the heart of the center. Get to that deep, deep place within me, that place where apparently I have desires. Reform them, shape them, reveal them to me, and I'm good. Because I don't know if I know what I actually want. That's the work that God was doing in David's life while he was out there tending the sheep. Here he writes this beautiful psalm about the importance of just delighting yourself in God. He'll give you the desires of your heart and, and one by one he'll reveal them to you. He'll show you exactly what it is that is on his heart and now your heart as well. When we're shifting from, from one place to another, um, I uncovered in the Hunt archives this, this sort of big life plan thing. It took me back to when Bronnie and I were 19, 20 years of age, and I unfolded the thing, and, and it was this big arrow with a pointy end here, and, and your life purpose was summed up there. And, and I had written in there some, some grand objective about reaching an entire generation for Jesus and some other things. So there was a word in there that is actually, I think, God-given and was remained with us throughout ministry, and it was about discipleship. But the interesting thing was, as I invited Joel over and I said, hey, Joel, come and, come and look at what mum and I planned out for our lives back when we were 19 or 20, and I showed him this big piece of paper, you know, and it's sort of the idea was you'd sort out your purpose, your life purpose, and then you would... You'd have objectives and all sorts of areas of your life and under these goals all the way back and you could plan out a good hundred years that way. The funny thing was, except for that purpose statement, the thing was pretty much blank. And I suddenly remembered when I did it, I felt like such a failure. I mean, it came with life plan and there were life plan tapes, audio tapes that you could listen to and, you know, maybe a, I don't know, motivational speaker or something. But... I remember feeling like such a failure that we only got this bit done and we never got anything done. But now I looked back and I thought I was probably hearing exactly what God wanted me to hear. He didn't want me to plan out my entire life and miss out on this, this journey of faith, this adventure with him. That wasn't the way it was supposed to be. It was all about delighting myself in him and let the doing flow out of the being. At the right time, he would come and find me and ensure that I would be exactly where he wanted me to be. So David was found by God and found himself now, and yes, there's a touch of irony here, in the very courts where he will one day actually be king. But the other part of finding your best contribution and, and discovering how does God want to use you? What, what sort of fruit am I supposed to bear? Am I a mulberry tree, for instance? Or am I a blackberry bush? What am I? 
finding your best contribution, one of the other obstacles we often seem to face is this. We often don't feel like we actually have much to offer. Many of us feel like actually all we've got is, is just a little bit of something, but I don't know, can you really use that, God? Is there a kingdom fit for this little contribution, this little fruit that, that I have? And the answer is simply this. A little is a lot in the hands of God. A little is a lot in the hands of God. In verse 23, we read, Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and he'd play. Then relief would come to Saul and he would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. You see, David brings a simple song, but God uses it as a ministry of healing. What's that about? Was he just really, really good on the lyre? He was probably good. He'd had a lot of practice. He'd probably honed his skills. He's probably bringing his best game. But you know what? Still doesn't explain how that could possibly be a healing ministry and would exercise the demonic. There's only one explanation for that. The Spirit of God was multiplying what David had. It's a little bit like Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 9, the loaves and the fishes. There's a a huge crowd that needed to be fed. The disciples were aware of it, but they only had a little. And Jesus said, well, I want you to take your little and I want, you to, I want you to give it out. They could have done the math on that. They could have said, you know, okay, all right, let's see how this works, guys. Uh, there's 12 of us, seven and seven and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's not going to work. Okay, 12 of us, seven fish, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. There's more than eight. It's really not going to work. They could have gone back and forth to Jesus and just, hey, should we just, just did a count and just in case one of us was wrong, he counted as well. And there is really over nine, ten. There's thousands of people, Jesus. There's thousands of people. There's only a few fish, only a few bread. It's not going to work. But his instructions were simple. Take what you have and give it. I'll do the multiplication. A little is a lot in the, in the hands of God. And it doesn't matter what you have and how insignificant it feels or how inconsequential or how plain or how ordinary. God seems a lot less concerned with where you are in terms of the, the sights of others, but just how you're using what you have. Are you taking the little that you have and are you, are you giving out of that? Because I have an amazing way of multiplying that in ways you wouldn't believe. The enemy comes in and he whispers, yeah. But you know this thing about the will of God and your best contribution. There are two fears that he can speak to us. To the younger Christians, but what? But what if I miss out on the will of God? Almost like it's the will of God is bus number 37. And there you are waiting in life for bus number 37, the will of God. 
and it hasn't come. There's nothing on the horizon and you're worried that somehow maybe you'll get distracted. Maybe you'll be looking the other way. Maybe bus number 37, the will of God will come and go and oh, I've missed it. I was disobedient. I'd walked, away from, I'd walked away from the place where I would have entered the will of God. I was distracted. I wasn't noticing that all of a sudden the will of God came and it left without me. Yeah. Sometimes perhaps in our thinking, God's like, a, like an evil bus driver who way, way, way back on the horizon is saying, he's looking, he's looking. Just go slow, go slow, go slow. He's distracted. Speed up. Ha <laughs> ha, you missed it. Ooh, off we go. That was my will for your life. And you can just see the rear end of it. God's not like that. He doesn't play games with us. He's not going to let you miss out on his good and perfect will. But what about those of us who are a little bit older? We're not so concerned that we might miss the will of God. We're concerned that we've missed it. We're concerned that we did get distracted. We were disobedient. And we don't need our close friends and family to point that out. We know it. So does that mean I missed out on God's good and perfect will? What am I on? His second best or his third best? Does he do points? Does he do 3.1, 3.2, 3.3? I mean, what version of God's best, good and perfect will for my life am I on right now? How many buses have I missed? I was thinking about this down at the beach last weekend. You might have noticed I wasn't here. Did anyone notice? Ah. Oh. No one noticed. Anyway, uh, I was on a little, a couple of friends. We went on a spiritual retreat, and I got, got some, some miles under my belt, um, 90 miles of beach to walk. I covered, you know, good, you know, anyway. I was on the beach, and I was, I was thinking about Ephesians 2.10, and it just struck me again. Wow, the wonder of it all. We've been created for good works, which God planned in advance for us to do. Not just a good work, as if there's one single thing to do with your life, but good works every day, good works. Lots of works to do for God. Lots of them. But these have all been designated, all been planned, all been thought out before time began. Wow. Remember we talked about God's sovereignty before? That means that it doesn't matter, to be quite honest, if you are distracted, maybe you have been disobedient in some area of your life, but you're just not that good at thwarting the will of God. This was planned out before the beginning of time. How could God do that? How could he know this? How could he know that? How could he know about my mistake? How could he know that I'd be, be not walking with him or distracted or whatever it might be? How would he know that I missed bus 37? He knows. What if he's got two, three, four, five buses and they all say 37? He's got a knack of, of picking you up wherever you are and ensuring that his plans are never thwarted. He might feel like you're, you're really good at being bad in this Christian life. Well, good for you. But you might not be as good as you think you are at being bad. And you can't outdo God. No matter how many times you muck up, he's just better than you are. He'll pick you up. I muck up, he picks you up every single time. In other words, I don't believe you can miss out on his good and perfect will. David is found by God in the place 
where he was. He takes his little. The world had forgotten about him. He was lost out there in a paddock with some sheep. God finds him and brings him into the royal, his royal courts, and he uses the little that David has. And that's what he wants to do with your life and mine. How we do what we do seems to be the important thing to God, not where we do it so much. He'll take care of the where. You look after the how we do what we do, he will look after the where we do it. Just seems to be Scripture's testimony again and again and again. We don't, we get so caught up in the where. But I think it might come down to the how. What's in your basket tonight? You might feel, oh, it's so little. Like I know you said before, Stuart, God can do a lot with little, but have you seen how little my contribution is? I mean, I can't even find it in the basket. <laughs> you need a microscope to find out what my fruit and contribution is going to be to the kingdom of God. It's okay. What are you going to do with it? But you don't know what my day is like. It's so boring. It's so mundane. It's so unspiritual. It's just a kind of a routine. What are you going to do with it? Is it offered to God? Are you, are you opening up your basket to him and saying, I know there's not much there, Jesus. It's not much at all. It's embarrassing. But I understand that you can do a lot with a little. So everything I have, it's yours. And that's his invitation to you tonight. I believe God would, would want to remind you, you can't be lost to him. You might feel that way. He's too sovereign. He's too good. He will find you. You might feel that, yeah, but when he finds me, how embarrassing. Uh, oh, this is my fruit. <laughs> it's down there somewhere. I hope you brought tweezers. It's kind of, you know, it's just small. It's okay. God loves to multiply the little. From that, he does the production. And he loves to produce an abundant harvest. If you're willing, he'll do that in your life. I know he will. Let's pray, shall we? I do think... Dear Heavenly Father, it is innate. It's, it's, it's right within us, all of us. We, we do want to be included in your great scheme of things. We want to make a contribution to the kingdom of God. We want to somehow feel that the good works that you planned for us since the beginning of time, we somehow all want to feel that they're going to count for something, aren't they? There's a lot of mystery here, but this one thing we know, if we will make available today, tonight, what we have, you promise to use it. Lord, maybe there's somebody here tonight and, and they're just thinking, I don't think that God has seen me. I don't think he's vast plans include somebody like me. 
We want to declare tonight that's a lie and we know where it's from. It's just not true. You love us, you see us, and you long to use us for your purposes. We respond tonight by making ourselves available to you. What we have, we choose to offer up in faith to you. It's how we use what we have. We choose to use it in faith, trusting that a little is a lot in the hands of a mighty God. We give you our little. And we look forward to that day where all of heaven will praise you for how you turned it into a whole lot. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.